Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. you don't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Hopefully you've had plenty of time to find it now. 1 Timothy in chapter number 1. And we're starting a brand new series of the pastoral epistles. This is a section in the Bible that is unique in its audience. Remember that whenever you go to find the interpretation of a passage, there's a couple of questions that everyone needs to ask. For example, you ask the question, who is writing? In this case, it would be the Apostle Paul. The second question you ask is, who is he writing to? Because that makes a big deal. That when Jesus talked to the Pharisees, he talked to the Pharisees differently than he talked to the disciples. And so knowing the audience is always important. In the case of the pastoral epistles, we could see that there's something unique about these epistles. That beforehand, the Apostle Paul would write to churches, to the church of Rome, to the church of Colossae, to the church of Ephesus, to the church of Thessalonica, and so on. All of the preceding epistles, all the way from the book of Romans, all the way up to here, all of those, that block was written to churches. What makes these next few books unique of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus is that they were not written to churches, they were written to a person. And it happened to be that in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, these happened to be people who were acting as the pastor of the churches they were set over. And so this is why we call them the pastoral epistles, because it is Paul speaking as the discipler, the person who is trained, the father in the faith, teaching his children... Uh, mature children of the faith, pastors, how to pastor a church, things that they need to do and watch out for as a pastor, guarding and shepherding the flock. And so that's important to note because it's going to affect a little bit of interpretation as you read it if you understand that he's writing to a pastor and not to a church within these few books. So if you don't mind, look with me in the book of 1 Timothy chapter number 1. The book of 1 Timothy chapter 1, and notice with me in verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Timothy chapter number 1? The book of 1 Timothy chapter 1, and notice with me in verse 2, notice the phrase, Timothy, my own son in the faith. Timothy, my own son in the faith the faith. And with the Lord's help, we want to introduce this series and specifically the book of First and Second Timothy with doing a character study on who Timothy is. Timothy, my own son in the faith. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. 
Thank you as we come up to you today that we could open up your scriptures and we could learn of you. That we could see the example that you have given us in your scripture by using Paul and his son in the faith, Timothy. Help us as we examine the life of Timothy that we could learn quite a bit about him. Get a good idea of the context. Understand what is being discussed here and the importance of these books as we begin to study them. Again, we ask you even now that you would fill me with your precious spirit so you could get your own work accomplished. Let the principle that we hit tonight be understood. Let it be a help and let it be a blessing. And in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. The Apostle Paul in here is addressing a certain person by the name of Timothy, who he refers to in this passage as my own son in the faith. Now, what that means is that the Apostle Paul had a great hand in helping Timothy mature towards the Lord. If you want to put it this way, it was the Apostle Paul who discipled Timothy to help him to become the man of God that God desired him to be. In fact, as we study the idea of the relationship between Paul and Timothy, we can see the idea of discipleship and what it is that it is investing in eternity. Discipleship is investing in eternity. Now, when you study the Bible, there's different ways to study it. You could study the Bible through its books, which we love to do, to take a book of the Bible and to walk through it. You could study the Bible by its themes, and there's great themes throughout the Bible. You could study the Bible by its topics and find a specific topic. You could study the Bible by its words, and word studies are always amazing. Then you could study the Bible by its characters. One of my favorite ways to study, to examine the life of someone in the Bible and to be able to glean something from their life. Remember that every life teaches a message. Every life teaches a message, including your life. If you were to sum up your life in one statement, what would your life tell someone? What would, your, what would be the example, the lesson that we would learn from your life. Remember that even the worst people can serve as bad examples, examples not to follow through. But Timothy's not one of those bad examples. If you don't mind, let's take some time to open up the scriptures and learn a little bit about Timothy and his life. So that way when we study this passage and study the book of First and Second Timothy in the upcoming weeks, we have an idea of who Paul is talking to. Is he talking to an immature baby in Christ? Is he talking to a disobedient person? Is he talking to someone who is saved? Is he talking to someone that wants to follow the Lord? That gives a good indication, a good understanding of the passage when we know who is being spoken to. If you don't mind, let's look first of all at Timothy's early life. Timothy's early life. With this, turn with me all the way back to the book of Acts. The book of Acts chapter 16. And let's examine Timothy's early life. The book of Acts, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts in chapter number 16. We see Timothy mentioned in the book of Acts chapter 16 as the apostle Paul is now on his second missionary journey. Notice with me in Acts chapter 16 in verse number 1. Then he, that's Paul, came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish, Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was 
a Greek. So here we see a little bit about Timothy's early life. Of course, we have other parts of the scripture that gives us an understanding that Timothy's mother was a Jew and his father was a Greek. So he grew up in kind of a split cultured home. He had two different cultures. One, his mother being a Jew and his father was a Greek. His father died early in Timothy's life. So he was raised by his mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois, both of these godly ladies. And both of these ladies took the time to teach Timothy the scriptures and faith in God. Paul makes mention of that later on in the book of 1 and 2 Timothy about how his mother and grandmother had raised them and taught him from scriptures. And praise the Lord to come from a home where the scriptures are taught. Praise the Lord to come from a home where someone valued the scriptures to take time to teach little boys and little girls about the importance of the Bible. And not only how to read the Bible, but how to have faith in God because of the Bible. To be obedient to it, to trust in the promises of God. Timothy was probably converted at Paul's first missionary journey at Lystra. By the way, that was an exciting tale. If you ever have time to go back in your Bible to read it for yourself, it's great stuff. That remember, Paul was preaching in Lystra, and he was preaching such a message, and the people didn't like it. So they dragged Paul outside of the city. And outside of the city, oftentimes, there was a little pit that had rocks around it. And that's where they would stone people who had did something wrong. So they took the apostle Paul out, and they took stones, and they threw it down. Paul was hit in the head, hit in the arm. He could feel his bones crack. He could feel it glance off his head. He could feel the blood run. And they stoned him until he was dead. The apostle Paul was dead. Well, the people looked at, as the other villagers left, the disciples, the Christians came down to look at the apostle Paul and to look at his mangled body. And one of the most amazing things happened. Paul got up. Well, that'd be a scary thing to see someone who just got through being killed, being stoned to death. By the way, being stoned to death is not being rocked to sleep. We use the thing. It's not a nice way to go. Painful to have bones broken. But you know what Paul did? He rose up, which is a miracle in itself. After all the broken bones, he's healed. He's ready to go. And he goes right back into town and go preaches again. How would you feel if you just killed the guy and he came back to town and was preaching the message again? Well, that was his first missionary journey. Well, lots of people got saved on that first missionary journey, probably including young Mr. Timothy. Well, as Paul went to go finish his first missionary journey and then started his second, Timothy was growing. They had started a local church in Lystra, and he was beginning to uh, follow the Lord. He was being obedient. And so when Paul came the second time around and was checking up at the church, people would say, hey, have you seen this young man, Timothy? I mean, he really loves the Lord. He's hungry. He's reading his Bible. He's excited. Paul, you need to check this guy out. And so while Paul was there, he looked at the young man and asked him questions. And sure enough, this young man was hungry. And this is what the Bible says in verse number two, uh, Acts 16, verse two. Which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him, Timothy, would Paul have to go with, forth with him and took and circumcised him. So uh, Paul spent some time with Timothy and said, you know what? I could use this young man. I'm going to teach. There's something about this young man. I'm going to teach him. I'm going to invest my life in him. He's going to travel with me and wherever I go, he's going to go. And I'm going to teach him how to follow the Lord. And so he starts off with an act of faith. Notice again in verse 3. 
him, that's Timothy, would Paul have for, to go forth with him, and took and circumcised Timothy because of the Jews that were in those quarters, for they knew that his father was a Greek. Now, Timothy beforehand had never been circumcised. Remember, circumcision was a physical sign that the, the Jewish people had done a little surgery upon little boys to go ahead and to physically show that they were separated unto God. Now, Timothy, because his father was a Greek, had never undergone circumcision. However, Paul, because he knew that Timothy was half Jew, that he, in order for him to have a ministry that was acceptable by the Jewish people, and he already had one mark against him that he was only half Jew, but to go uncircumcised, the Jewish people would not receive him. So in order for him to have a testimony, in order for him to be able to reach the Jewish people, he willingly submitted to circumcision. It was not for salvation. It was not to get him saved. It was the idea so that way he would have the proper testimony to reach out to the Hebrew people. And so he willingly submitted to circumcision, which again is a very big deal for a young man to go through. And so he decided that he was going to follow the Apostle Paul. Well, as the Apostle Paul took the young man and traveled with him, he began to teach him everything. He began to disciple him, to pour his life into him. The second thing I'd like to show you is not only the early life, but I also want to show you the discipleship by Paul. Discipleship by Paul. With that, let's turn to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter number 3. The book of 2 Timothy, chapter number 3. In the book of 2 Timothy, remember the Apostle Paul is nearing the end of his life. Very soon he is going to be beheaded for the cause of Christ by Nero. And this is his last letter. And so he's taken some time later on in his life to reflect to Timothy and, and to, to speak to Timothy about some things Timothy needed to remember. And I want you to see how Paul had poured his self into his young disciple. Notice with me in the book of 2 Timothy chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and notice with me starting at verse 10. It says, but thou has fully known. Now notice this, thou has fully known. Timothy, you have fully known, and he's going to give a list. Notice with me the things that Timothy fully knew about Paul. First of all, thou has fully known my Doctrine. Remember, doctrine is our belief and teachings. And he's saying, Timothy, you fully know what I believe and why I believe it. You know all of that. I've taken time to invest in you, to teach you what does the Bible say about Christ? What does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? What does the Bible say about resurrection? What does the Bible say about the second coming? What does the Bible say about the Bible? Thou hast fully known my doctrine. I have taught you everything about my doctrine. But notice that we see a comma that means the list goes on. We could go back and put the first phrase, but thou hast fully known my doctrine. Thou hast fully known my manner of life. So Paul is telling Timothy, not only do you know what I believe, but you also know how I carried myself, how I behaved myself, how I worked with people, how I dealt with people. You saw me not lose my temper. You saw how I was long suffering. You saw all of those things within my life. Thou has fully known. Notice as he goes on. But thou has fully known my doctrine. Thou has fully known my manner of life. Thou has fully known my purpose. Do you know everyone has motivation? What motivates you? Some people are motivated by money. Some are motivated by prestige. Some are motivated by family. 
But Paul says, thou hast fully known my purpose. What was Paul's purpose? Well, Paul says it in a different book. That I may know him. The reason why Paul was in the ministry was not for the money. The reason why Paul was in the ministry was not because of the prestige. The reason why he was in the ministry was not because everyone loved him. The reason why he was in the ministry was because of God. He said in the book of 2 Corinthians, For the love of God constraineth me. He says, I think about how much God loved me and how can I not serve God? I think about what God has done. I am obedient to him because I want to know more about him. I'm following after him. Timothy, that was fully known my purpose. He goes on and says, thou hast fully known my doctrine. Thou hast fully known my manner of life. Thou hast fully known my purpose. Thou hast fully known my faith. My faith. You know, there's something about faith. Faith is... <laughs> described in Hebrews 11 as by faith that we see action, but it is defined in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus. Paul says, you saw my faith. You saw how I responded in crisis. You saw how I responded when things were going wrong, when I'm dying, when I'm sick, when people hate me. You saw how I responded. You saw my faith. You saw that. You have fully known my faith. And thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith. Notice this. Thou hast fully known my long suffering. What does long suffering mean? It means you suffer long. You know, sometimes you have to suffer long with people. They make you suffer and you deal with it. And you smile and nod and work with them. Paul says, you saw how I dealt with people. And when people were stupid, when people hated me, when people get disagreed with me, when they wanted to kill me, you saw how I suffered long with people. You saw how I dealt with people. Timothy watched all of this. He traveled with them. Paul discipled Timothy and taught him all of those things. Exposed him. There was nothing hidden. It was nothing like Paul was just there on Sundays and looked shiny. And that was the only time Timothy saw him. Timothy traveled everywhere with him. And Paul poured his life. He discipled him and showed him all these things. Notice he goes on. But thou was fully known my doctrine. Thou was fully known my manner of life. Thou was fully known my purpose, my faith, my long suffering. Thou was fully known my charity. The word charity here is a type of love that is a reflection of God. Charity is a love that cost me something with no hope of return. You saw how I loved people. You saw how even when no one, I would love people who would not love me back. And I was willing to love them. Even if it cost me something, I was willing. You watched my love. We watched my charity. Notice this. That was fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long suffering, my charity, my patience. My patience. Are you an impatient person? Paul says, you saw how I was willing to wait for people. I was willing to wait for God to work. I was willing to wait. You know, there's something about waiting that most of us have lost, me included. If I see more than three people in a drive-thru line, I'm not going through the drive-thru line. I'm, you know, we live in an instant thing, an instant this. We live in a time where if people don't respond to your text within 30 seconds, you get mad at them. Why don't you love me enough? <laughs> We're impatient people. Paul says, you've seen my patience. How I'm willing to wait and watch and not get in a hurry. You've seen my 
patience. He goes on in verse 11, but thou hast fully known my persecutions. Timothy, you've seen me in my good times and you've seen me in my bad times. You've seen my persecutions. You've seen how people have stoned me, beat me, jailed me, thrashed me, kicked me, spit upon me. You've seen it. And you watched me as I responded to those persecutions. Most of us are more thin-skinned than we'd like to admit. Someone looks at us wrong and, I'm not going to do it no more. Quit. Well, people gave more than Paul gave Paul more than just a bad look. They beat him. They threatened him. They tried to kill him. There's one time they did kill him. And Timothy was there and watched how he responded to the persecutions. Think of the Apostle Paul starting church number eight, uh, 82, walking down. He's got a full-time doctor keeping him alive. He's walking, hobbled, beat. And you look at Paul and said, Paul, why do you keep going? Don't you know what they've done to you? He says, it's still worth it to me. Still starting churches after nobody wants you. You know, when we talk to young missionaries, they try to teach the young missionaries. They have in their mind, they're going to get off the plane and everyone's going to flock to them. The great missionary is here. I'm here. And they're all going to love on him. You know what? When missionaries step off the plane, nobody wants them there. You know, you don't have to go to a foreign field. When a preacher comes to a town, nobody wants them there. It's just one of those things. You, but how do you deal with it? Do you get the poochy lip disease? I'm going to go somewhere where someone loves me. Well, good luck. You know, the persecutions. Paul is saying, Timothy, you've seen. You've fully known my persecutions. Verse 11, you've known my afflictions. You've known what they've done to me. My afflictions, which came to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. He says, you were there when they killed me, man. You've seen it. You've fully known what persecutions I endured. But out of them all, the Lord delivered me. He goes on and describes this. Thou has fully known. How did Paul or Timothy fully know this? Because Paul took Timothy and discipled him and poured his heart into him. Well, that means that we need to find some terms here. What is discipleship? Discipleship is developing the habit of obedience to Christ. Discipleship is developing the habit of obedience to Christ. That everything that we do in the Christian life is habits. You get in the habit of reading your Bible. You get in the habit of praying. You get in the habit of going to church. You get in the habit of giving. You get in the habit of telling people about the Lord. Well, discipleship is helping people develop the, those godly habits by providing something special called accountability. Someone actually checking up on them. How's your Bible reading? How's your prayer life? Well, come on, let's pray some more. If someone's lacking, to go along with them. It's kind of like going to the gym. That For those of us who saw a gym once upon a time, it's much easier to go to the gym when you got someone going with you or going on a walk or going on a treadmill or, or doing something physical. That left to your own devices, your flesh gets in the way and say, no, I could use that time to go to sleep. You know, your, your flesh will give in. But if you have someone going alongside with you, you're a little less inclined to give up, but you know someone is there for you. That's what discipleship does. It's discipleship provides accountability to help someone develop the habit of obedience to Christ. Get in the habit of reading the Bible. Get in the habit of praying. Get in the habit of doing all those things. But it doesn't stop at just teaching 
Discipleship also carries the idea of pouring yourself into another person. You're pouring yourself out into them. (laughs) Discipleship is hard work. Because you're taking yourself and putting it into another person. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes prayer. It takes emotion. It takes a lot of things. But it's worth it because you're investing in eternity. You're investing in someone who is going to reproduce themselves. That's the goal is for them to reproduce themselves. That we're try- the purpose is for them to develop the habit. The goal is for them to go and do the same thing to someone else. And you're investing in eternity. You're investing it for it to go. Notice if you don't mind as we're still in 2 T- Timothy uh, verse, uh, chapter 3. Notice in verse 14. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 14. But continue. Notice this context. This continue comes right after he's talking about persecutions. All, uh, verse 12, all that will live godly shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving being deceived. But forget all of that. Continue. Continue. But continue thou in the things that thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned of. Do you know that every disciple has the responsibility to continue. Every disciple has the responsibility to continue because someone invested in them. Someone poured themselves into it. They didn't pour themselves into them for you just to say, all right, I've been discipled, I'm leaving church. We had a lady once years ago. (laughs) She wasn't saved. Her marriage was kind of on the rocks, but they would show up. And they would, you know, looking for something, looking for something, looking for something. We worked with this family for three years. And one day she got saved. And the strangest thing happened. She goes, woohoo, I'm saved. I don't have to go to church no more and left. Never came back. We scratched our head and said, what? That's not what the plan was. Every Timothy has the responsibility to continue. We're investing in someone. It's an investment in eternity for them to continue on the work. For them to continue to do what was given to them. Remember, Jesus has given us the responsibility to reach the world, but not one person could do it by themselves. We teach other people so they can go out and do the same thing. Discipleship is an investment with the expectation that they are going to continue. And so as Paul is getting ready to die, he's saying, Timothy, you fully known all of these things. And because of this, knowing that I was your teacher, I'm telling you, Timothy, to continue. That is my expectation. I'm fixing to die, Timothy, but I expect you to continue because I invested so much in you. Continue. Continue. So we start off by examining Timothy and we could see his early life. We could see that he was discipled by Paul. But I want you to see something else as we examine what happened to Timothy's life. We could see him following the Lord in obedience. Following the Lord in obedience. Notice with me in the book of Philippians chapter number 2. The book of Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians in chapter number 2. And notice with me, as Paul makes reference to Timothy, to the church of Philippi. Philippians chapter 2, and notice with me in verse 19. 
But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Now notice this as we go on. We see that Timothy became Paul's protege. And so much so that Paul says in verse 20, I have no man like-minded to send to you. No man who will naturally care for your state like Timothy. I'm sending Timothy because he's just like me. I've discipled him. I've trained him. And when I'm sending Timothy, I'm sending an extension to myself. There's someone who thinks like me, believes like me, behaves like me. That's who I'm sending. He is like-minded who will care for you just like I'll care for you. That's what we want out of discipleship, is that we want someone who's going to be just like us, who believes the same way, follows the same way, has the same thing. That's the importance of discipleship, is that we're reproducing ourselves through training them. And that's what Timothy was. He became Paul's potuse, who was like-minded. He sought for the things of Christ, who naturally care for them. Notice verse 21. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Jesus Christ. He says, let me tell you about Timothy. Timothy's not there because he's doing it for himself. He's doing it because he wants to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who I'm sending to you. This is pretty important. He was the proof of faithfulness to God. He was faithful to the authority in his life that he obeyed Paul and became just like Paul. And so later on, Paul can trust him to do the work of the ministry, to extend him out because he was obedient to his authority. That goes along with discipleship, that someone who's going to (laughs) go through discipleship, in order for them to succeed, they have to be obedient to what was given to them. Without that obedience, it doesn't work. They have to be willing to follow the Lord and follow what the authority in their life has given to them so that way they can grow and be used of God. And that's the purpose of it. Now, we see and understand that he was used as Paul's missionary team. That when Paul would start a ministry, Timothy would often oversee the ministry when Paul left and it would help him out. This would allow Paul to start other churches and not just leave a baby church defenseless. But Timothy would stay behind, like the church of Ephesus. If you're familiar with the church of Ephesus, Paul started that church. He was there for two and a half years, uh, running a Bible institute, training men and women for the ministry. In the space of two and a half years, all of people in Asia Minor, the country of Turkey, which let's say for our sake, the state of Wisconsin, think of how big it is. And two and a half years, everybody in that region had heard about the gospel. And Paul was there at at Ephesus. He didn't leave. He taught there daily. He was discipling and training and running a Bible institute. Later on, when the the temple of Diana got upset and the silversmith who were selling the Green Bay, I mean, um, those little thing, uh, trinkets with uh, the temple of Diana and stuff on it, what would happen is that they kicked Paul out of town. Now, Paul could not pastor the church, but he left Timothy there who was like-minded who was just like Paul, and allowed the church to grow and move forward while Paul went to go start another church. Isn't that a wonderful thing of an extension to be able to have the work move forward because of discipleship, that it's not dependent on one man? If he didn't train Timothy, that church would have very likely fallen apart without Paul being there. 
So someone was there to let the work continue and move forward. It is my personal belief that every pastor, before he leaves, needs to be able to train someone before he dies, before he retires, have someone that he's trained to take the work so it continues to move forward. That's the idea. That's the purpose of it. <laughs> in fact, notice this principle that we find back in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want you to see the principle of discipleship here. What was it that Paul was trying to do with Timothy? That Paul discipled Timothy to invest in eternity. That he was investing so the work would go forward and not stop. That the work of God always have to have people being trained and move forward. That anytime we stop training people, at any time we stop teaching people, then then it dies. The work dies. The, the message dies. The, the doctrine dies. All it takes is one generation not to do what they're supposed to do. Notice with me in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And notice this principle. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. So Paul is speaking to Timothy. He says, Timothy, the things that you heard among me among many witnesses, the same. By the way, let me put this in. Things that are different are not the same. What did Paul want Timothy to teach others? The very same thing that Paul was taught. That Paul taught Timothy. The very same thing. Not his own twist on it. Not his own imagination. The very same thing. So Timothy, the things that you heard from me among many witnesses, the very same thing I want you to teach others. Notice this. The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, we have four groups of people. You had a Paul who was teaching. He was the father. He taught a Timothy. Now he taught Timothy with the expectation that he was going to take faithful men. Notice that qualification. It wasn't just to teach any random person, but someone who was going to be faithful to the Lord. That's what he's looking for. Someone who wants to continue. Someone who wants to go forward. Someone who's going to be obedient. Someone who is faithful. Timothy, I want you to take faithful men and teach them so they can teach others also. Four groups of people. A Paul, a Timothy, who's going to teach faithful men and then others also. Four groups of people. And this is how discipleship works. A Paul teaches a Timothy. A Timothy teaches faithful men. Faithful men teach others also. Do you know that you're somewhere on that line? You're probably several people. Everyone needs a Paul, someone who is invested. Not just led them to the Lord, but raise them. Remember, anyone can sire a child, but to be a good daddy to a child, that's something altogether different. Discipleship is investing to raise that child up in the Lord so they could follow after him. And yes, the child goes through the phases, the toddler phase, the no phase, the disobedient teenage rebellious phase. They go through the phases and you have to be a good father. You have to work with them. Aren't you glad as a teenager that when you started rebelling, your parents didn't say, woohoo, you're on your own. Forget this. But they were long suffering towards you, even though you were silly, <laughs> invested in them and kept them. So a Paul taught a Timothy. Now he expects a Timothy to take faithful men and teach them in such a way that they are going to teach others also. Who is your Paul? Who is your others also? Some of you are in the phase where you're teaching. You don't have a Timothy yet. 
You're maybe in the others, uh, the, the faithful men with the expectation you're going to teach others also. That a Timothy is teaching you. Someone has taught the Timothy. The Tim- so who is your Paul? Who is your teacher? Who's the one that invested in you? I could name the people that invested in me. And I'm so thankful for them. My pastor Greg Hardesty invested in me. Was very long suffering towards me. Very patient with me. And didn't kick me out. Even though he was deathly afraid of uh, snakes. And I showed him a rattlesnake that I killed one time. And just as a present in a paper bag. And he opened it up and about excommunicated me from the church. He, he, I survived that. He didn't kick me out after that. I'm thankful for that. And other foolish things that I did that he invested in me. Uh, Pastor Burton Brush, who took a young teenager whose parents weren't following the Lord, who walked to church and invested in a young teenager when I didn't have any family there. He invested in me. Other people along the way who loved me. A Paul Swanky, a uh, 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 <coughs> A David Summerdorf who oversaw me and gave me advice and made sure I wasn't doing anything. Those were Pauls in my life who invested in me, who kept me. And then after that, Timothy's working in there. If you could forgive the personal illustrations. I've been involved in personal one-on-one discipleship for over 20 years now. And to this case, I am now up to several pastors and missionaries, seven deacons of churches across the country, full-time workers. You know, it works. It's amazing. I love to hear from those folks and see how they're doing and what's going on and to see them go forward. It works. It works. It works. And to watch it move forward. And now those folks are taking someone to teach them also. And that's what we're trying to do here is invest in people. We're investing in eternity. We're not just investing in you just so you go, woohoo, I got some Bible knowledge. I'm going to go take a nap. We're teaching you for the purpose that you can go out and teach someone else. That the work can go forward. We're investing in eternity and we're moving forward. And that's the goal. That's the purpose is to reproduce people. That a Paul takes a Timothy and invests in him. That Timothy is going to take Faithful men with the expectation that those faithful men are going to teach others also. That discipleship is an investment in eternity. And it is something that is very serious and very vital to the church. If you could allow me one last math statistic. Sometimes people are impatient with discipleship because it takes a while. It takes about a good year to 18 months depending on someone's obedience and learning level. (laughs) And different people have different things. Each person is an individual. But during that time, if the discipler and the disciplee are all witnessing to one person a week. Remember asking the question, are you 100% sure passing a track, witnessing to someone? What happens is the next year, those two people will take another two people. Still kind of small, but growing. The next year, those four people will take another four people. Each one of them are asking someone the question, witnessing to someone once a week. That next year, eight people will take eight people. The next time, 16 will take 16. The next time, 32 will take 32. Hey, if we have 32 people discipling and 32 people being discipled, don't you think we'll be a pretty strong church? The next year, 64. Take a 64. The next time, go around, 128 taking another 128. How strong of a church would we be having 128 disciplers, teachers? Pretty strong. The next year, it goes on and on. Do you know that if everybody is 
in discipleship, the discipler and the disciplee are all witnessing to one person a week. You know what will happen? In 30 years, 33 to be specific, every person in the world could hear the gospel. In just 33 years, if we're obedient to what God's given us to do. You understand this is the method that God has put in the world. The entire world could be one in 33 years. You say, well, why hasn't it been done? Because we're not obedient to discipleship. It breaks down. Either someone's not investing in someone or the discipler, disciples are not being obedient or when they're taught, they don't continue. It breaks down somewhere. And that's why the world hasn't been won. It's our fault. By the way, as discipleship goes on, the 128 takes 128. And then the next year, uh, the 156, or sorry, 256, take 256. As it goes on, you know, in about uh, 10, 15 years time, that's a thousand people. If you've reached a thousand people or have a thousand people teaching a thousand people, and they're witnessing to everyone, don't you think that it would change the culture of a Green Bay? An Appleton? A Seymour? It absolutely would if everyone had heard the gospel. By the way, you say, can it really be done? Well, yeah, you go look at somewhere of Lancaster, California that started with less than 20 people and did this method. And now today they are running thousands of people. In fact, in their college, they have a thousand kids that have come from across the country just to go to their college. And they did it by discipleship. And that's not the only church. There's other churches that are doing it. We just need to be one of them who are doing our part. And the world can be one. This is the method that God has given to us because you can't win it one-on-one. -on -one. one person can only reach a certain amount of people by himself. It has to be done by multiplication. Multiple people going out and getting it done. This is God's method. And when we have discipleship, we're investing in eternity. So I ask you, who's your Paul? Maybe you don't have a Paul. You don't have someone who's teaching you and helping you develop the habit of obedience to Christ. Well, then maybe you should have a desire to be obedient or discipleship and say, I want this. This is something I want. If you're in discipleship, then I continue to be obedient. Learn those things. And then after that, continue, continue. That's how it's going to go on. That's how this church is going to grow. It's not going to grow because we put up big signs and people go, woohoo, we found the church. It's not by putting on big jam sessions or music or plays. It's going to be done the Bible way. One-on-one -on -one discipleship, investing in eternity. And as we do that, having a strong church that's going to move forward and not crash because someone throws a fit. But we're going to move forward as we're looking unto God. As we see here... Paul is saying, Timothy, my son of the faith, we see the idea that discipleship is investing in eternity. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time 
to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.